unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the gospel according to St. Luke, reading there in the third chapter beginning at the 15th verse. And as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latter of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose span is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people." And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And I need not tell you that it is a good morning, and I hope that all of us are glad to be here in God's house at this hour and to have the privilege of worshiping him. As we know, today is the third Sunday in Advent. And it's sort of a special Sunday here at Emmanuel because this is also Commitment Sunday with us. This is the Sunday when those of us who have already committed ourselves to Christ as our Savior, we recommit ourselves again this day. And when some who have never committed themselves to Christ the Savior will also do so this day. Another thing about this third Sunday in Advent, it is known as John the Baptist Sunday. And because of that, therefore, we are going to turn to John the Baptist. Because, as you know, in this Advent season, we're getting ourselves ready for Christmas. And we're asking each Sunday of the four Sundays in Advent, uh, what child is this? Whose child is this whose birthday we are about to celebrate? Who is this child? And you remember on the first Sunday in Advent, we asked the Apostle Peter, uh, what child is this? And he responded by telling us that this child is no less than a prophet like unto Moses, an indispensable one. And we found that Sunday that had he not come, there would not be salvation for any man. Then last Sunday, you know, we sort of took a trip to heaven and we listened to one of the elders in the vision that he gave John the Apostle. And we listened to the elder and we asked the question, Elder, what child is this? And you remember the answer. The answer came from the elder, why this child is no less than the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion, the victor, the one who is going to be the winner, the one that is going to come at the last day and he is going to fulfill his promise. He is the lion of Judah. And today, because this is John the Baptist Sunday, naturally we are going to turn to the Baptist and ask him the question, John, what child is this? At the age of 30, John embarked upon his ministry, and as you and I know, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He went out in the wilderness, and he began to preach, and he began to baptize, and when all the people came out to hear him, they were wondering, they were filled with expectation, what does this all mean? And they were wondering even about John the Baptist, whether he might not be the Christ. And then John answered them, he said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he said, one mightier than I cometh. And so today we say to the Baptist, John the Baptist, what child is this whose birthday we're getting ready to celebrate? And John the Baptist says, do you want to know who this child is? He is one mightier than I. 
He is one greater than I am, and since this is Commitment Sunday, John would say he's worthy of your commitment to him as Savior. He is deserving of it. He merits it. This child is no less than one who is mightier and greater and more wonderful than I. And you and I may say this morning, well, what does that mean? After all, just because he was mightier than John the Baptist, does that mean that he deserves that I surrender myself to him, both body and soul? I think we have to stop for a moment and say, how about being mightier than John? Well, I would give you the word of Jesus. Jesus, in speaking about the Baptist one day, said that there has been no one born of woman who was greater than John the Baptist. And you and I may say, how come that John is known as the greatest of all the followers and the greatest of all the prophets? And we find in the word of God that this is the reason that John was the immediate forerunner. He was the one who prepared the way for Jesus when he came. And the other thing about him that makes him the mightiest of all, he's the only prophet in the word of God who himself was prophesied. Isaiah told of his coming 700 years before the Baptist came when Isaiah said there would be a voice crying in the wilderness. Malachi told about his coming 400 years before the Baptist came when Malachi mentioned that again Elijah would come back and Jesus said that Elijah was none other than John the Baptist. So today on Commitment Sunday here at Emmanuel, John the Baptist says to you and me, you ask me who this child is. Why this child, he said, is no less than one mightier than I. He's the greatest. He is the most tremendous. He is the most magnificent one. He is most worthy of your complete surrender to him as your Savior. And we may say this morning, well, if John the Baptist was the greatest, and then John would tell us that this Jesus was greater and mightier and more magnificent than he, we may say, how so? How was this babe greater than the greatest? And in the first place, John would remind you and me, John the greatest, he would remind you and me that he, the greatest, wasn't even worthy to untie the shoestrings of this babe. And you may say, I wonder what he meant by that. What he meant by that, John, when he said, well, I'm not even worthy to untie this babe's shoestrings, he was saying this, this babe is no less than God. This babe is no less than the sinless one. You may say, how do you get that, preacher? Well, it's just like this. If you recall, John's father was Zacharias and his mother Elizabeth. And you remember that when Zacharias was in the temple at Jerusalem as the high priest, that one day the angel Gabriel came to him and told him, he said, Zacharias, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And John, of course, was going to be his name. And Zacharias couldn't believe it at that age that they were going to be parents of a son. But the angel said that they would. And you recall that Zacharias was stricken with dumbness. And then six months later, the angel Gabriel went up to Nazareth, up in Galilee, and there was a virgin living up there by the name of Mary. And this angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child, she the virgin. And then the angel told her that your cousin Elizabeth is already great with child. Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John. Then we are told that Mary left Nazareth and she came on down and visited her relative Elizabeth, probably living in Hebron. We don't know exactly where it was. When she came into the home again, the unborn child Elizabeth leaped with joy and they talked and they told what again had transpired. Elizabeth and Zacharias knew that Mary was the virgin who was to be the mother of the Son of God. And then Mary stayed there until the time when John was to be born and she went back home. 
John was six months older than Jesus, and you can rest assured, since they were relatives, that Mary and Elizabeth were related, that in the course of 30 years, how they were comparing notes and how they wondered what God was going to do. John the Baptist, when he said, I'm not worthy to untie the shoestrings of this Jesus, he knew who he was. He knew that he was God the Son. He knew that he was born of the Virgin Mary without sin. And therefore, no wonder today on Commitment Sunday, John would say to you and me, he is worthy of your complete surrender to him as Savior. Because John would say, with this child, he is no less than God. He is great enough to be your Savior. And he was pure enough to be your Savior. Being born of the Virgin means that he was born without sin. Being born in a miraculous way conceived by the Holy Ghost means that this God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity who came into this world as a human being, came into this world as the sinless one. Being God, he is great enough to be our Savior because if God would take the baby Jesus and put him right over here and then the entire human race over here and we would say to God, who is of more value? God would say Jesus because he is God the Son. You are created beings. This is the Jesus on this Commitment Sunday that John the Baptist would say, he is worthy, he is entitled of your complete surrender because he was big enough and he was pure enough to be our Savior. And therefore, on Commitment Sunday, we ought to say, I'm going to believe that this child is no less than again. He is no less than one who is mightier than the mightiest one. He is even greater than the Baptist who is the greatest of all. He is magnificent. And when you and I can believe that, then we ought to surrender gladly, recommitting ourselves to him, ever holding fast to his deity, and ever holding fast to his sinlessness. Oh, in this world, I know they laugh at the virgin birth, and men say, how is it possible? But let's bear in mind, this Jesus was no less than God. He was no less than sinless. He was big enough, and as we hold on to him, then we are ready for Christmas, too, because then we begin to catch a glimpse of how much he must have loved us that God came into this dirty, stinking world and became a human being without sin and lived in this dirty, stinking earth for 33 years. He must have loved you and me a lot. And when we realize that, oh, he must have loved this babe, must have loved us a lot, then we're getting ready for Christmas, aren't we? On this third Sunday in Advent, we say to ourselves, what child is this? We're getting ready to celebrate his birthday, and I want to know who he is. And the Baptist says, don't you know who he is? Why, he is one who is mightier than I, who is the mightiest of all. Because that's what Jesus said of the Baptist. And you and I may say, does that make him deserving of our complete surrender to him as our Lord and Savior? And John the Baptist would say, oh, yes, it does, because he would remind us also that he, the greatest, while he baptized with water, he would remind you and me that this child, he baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We may say, what, what did he mean by that? What about this baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire? John was prophesying here that, again, that this Jesus would someday baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And you and I know that he did pour out the Holy Spirit. And that was on the day of Pentecost. And that was the day when the cloven tongues of fire appeared on the heads of those who were believers. And we may say, what did he mean by that? In saying that that's what this child would do, that he would anoint with the Holy Ghost and with fire, he was saying that this is the one who will atone completely for the guilt and the punishment of the world. You may say, how do you get that? 
John was not depreciating the fact that he was out baptizing. Uh, where he got the command to baptize, he got it from God, but nowhere in Scripture does it tell us just when God said you must go out and baptize. John was baptized and the Holy Spirit was again bringing men to a knowledge and to a faith in the coming Messiah in his baptism. It was a tremendous baptism. But when John says, even though I baptize you again with water, here is one who's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire, that came at the completion of Jesus' great work. Christ died on the cross on Good Friday. He arose on Easter, showing that he had atoned for our sins. He again appeared for a 40-day period and ascended into heaven on the 40th day. And you remember that on that day, he told his followers, you remain here in Jerusalem because he said, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. After his work on earth was completed and he went back to heaven, then he sent the Holy Spirit and he poured him out and there were the tongues of fire. In other words, John says, this is the one who is mightier than I am. He is the greatest he has completely atoned for the sins of the world. In simple language, that means that Jesus on the cross, he took your guilt in mind. He took your eternal punishment in mind and the guilt and the eternal punishment of the world and he rendered satisfaction to the Heavenly Father because he bore an equal of an eternity in hell for the entire human race. This is the Jesus whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate. And that means he is worthy of our complete surrender because he has the greatest blessings that even heaven can bestow. Deliverance from eternal hell and the gift of eternal life. I know we hear that so much we say to ourselves, is it so tremendous to be saved from hell? Is it so wonderful to have heaven awaiting us at death? May I assure you that God himself could give no greater gift. Look at the cost of it. It meant his son coming into the world at Christmas. It meant becoming, again, a human being born of the Virgin Mary. It meant the cross. So heaven must be wonderful when God died for you and me. That in that death we might be saved. It must be wonderful when Jesus longed to go to heaven. When he looked at the cross and said, For the glory, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, even not despising the shame of it. He was willing because he was going back home. And one day, you know, when he said, If you had the whole world, if a man has gained the whole world, and you lose your soul and you lose heaven. And Jesus said, It's a horrible bargain. You're the poorest of the poor. It must be wonderful to be saved and that's why John would say this Jesus when you talk about committing yourself to him he is worthy and we ought to say to ourselves in the days we're getting ready for Christmas that again I am going to surrender myself again gladly and willingly I will give him my body and soul and I'll do it freely repenting of my sins putting my faith in him and making sure that I have been baptized John went out and he baptized you may say how do you commit yourself to Jesus Christ why, it isn't hard. John went out and he preached repentance to stand and to admit that we're sinners, to admit we've broken God's law, that we're lost and damned because we have deliberately done that which is wrong. It means to turn to Jesus Christ and to put our trust in him. It means to take all of our guilt and to lay it on him and all of the punishment that we deserve and to put it on him because that's what he says. Let me be your guilt bearer and let me be your punishment bearer. Winning your life and mine, you and I can say, he died for me and I'm going to put my guilt and my punishment on him. Then he gives you and me a robe of righteousness that he earned. And then in baptism again, those of us who were baptized in infancy, that's when he claimed us as his own. And as an adult, we become baptized to show again he's commanded it and to have the added assurance that we have been born again. 
because that's what baptism does. It causes us to be born again. And then we're ready for Christmas because the peace of Christmas is ours. Well, what it means to be rid of a sense of guilt, what it means to have peace within, regardless of what happens, what it means as regards our sins to know that in Jesus Christ, to whom we have surrendered our body and soul, that everything is all right. That makes Christmas worthwhile, doesn't it? We look at this child and we say, what child is this? And the Baptist says, don't you know why this child, he, he's mightier than I am. And that means that he's mightier than the greatest prophet of all, the one who was the forerunner, the one who himself was prophesying, because John would also remind us that he, the greatest, he didn't have a winnowing fan in his hand, but he says, well, this child has a winnowing fan and he's going to return and he's going to clean absolutely clean perfectly the threshing floor and you might say what did john mean by that john says again he has the fan in his hand the winnowing fan is like a shovel that again uh, the farmer when he would bring in his grain and he had threshed it he would take this shovel and pick up the grain and the grain would fall to the ground and the wind would blow the husk or the chaff away and so again he would do some dividing of the chaff from the wheat. And John says, he is the greatest of all this, babe. He's going to come again. He is going to divide the human race. He is going to separate the chaff from the wheat. And he's going to take the wheat and put the wheat in the granary into eternal life. And he's going to take the chaff and he is going to cast it into everlasting fire. This is the, John says, he is worthy of your surrender and of your commitment because it means this, that on that last day it's going to be vindication day. He's going to vindicate you and me as fools who were fools enough to stake our lives on him. In this world we're crazy, aren't we, as Christians? People say, you mean to tell me you'd surrender your body and soul to this Jesus of Nazareth, this babe of Bethlehem? And people say, that's ridiculous, and we're the objects of scorn. I mean, people like to laugh at us, and what fools we really are. But when this child comes back with the winnowing fan, when he divides the human race, nobody's going to laugh. That'll be vindication day, when we who have been fools for him will stand and be vindicated because the chance will be separated from the wheat. This is this child, mightier than John, the greatest of all. And that ought to mean this then, in the Advent season, that we submit ourselves and we recommit ourselves today gladly and willingly to him, not being ashamed, not hesitating, being comforted by the fact that in the Lord's Supper he assures you and me that even though we sin every day, we can live lives that please him. Sometimes we may say in desperation, I like to surrender to him. I like to give him my body and soul, but oh, my life is so incomplete. It's far from what it ought to be. But have we ever realized the comfort? Every day we ask him for forgiveness, don't we? And then sometimes we wonder, does he forgive me my sins? Has he washed my soul as he has promised? And then comes the Lord's Supper. It's like an oasis in the desert, isn't it? And he says, here, along life's way, here is simply bread and wine, and these will communicate to you my body and my blood that I gave in, in death and that I shed in death on the cross. 
here is some reassurance on life's way. Just as certain as you got bread and wine, you got my body and you got my blood. You got those two tremendous erasers, and I assure you that when you got my body and blood, that they will erase from your soul every dirty, stinking thing that is ever on it, that you can stand whiter than snow, and that your lives, even though they are incomplete and they are so imperfect, that they may please me. What a joy, then, when we surrender in the comfort of Holy Communion to know that he assures us on life's way, that even though every day we fail and we come short, but we are still his own, we are still forgiven, and he assures us and gives us that tremendous joy in the sacrament that lives can please him, but in the little things in life, that when we show mercy and when we show kindness, that this pleases him when we have surrendered to him. I wonder how many of us can ever fathom what a little deed of mercy and kindness can mean to somebody else to whom we have shown it. I don't think you and I ever realize what just a little bit of mercy, a little bit of kindness can do. I told you last Sunday, you know, about one of our members in the Columbus Hospital who, again, is grievously ill, who said to me when I visited him, I, I want one favor of you. Will you see to it that I get a Christmas treat, that I get a sack of candy like the kids get? Because it brought back memories of childhood and said, I'm not going to be there. And uh, that candy says that I got as a kid in church, it was sort of a foretaste of heaven. Well, last Sunday afternoon, I went back to the hospital and I found him very seriously ill. It, when I came back, it was on my heart all week. I wondered, you know, we don't know in the providence of God how long an individual is going to live. And I had made a promise that I would bring a Christmas tree one of our sacks. It lay on my heart and the other day I called Super Duper because they're the ones where our committee goes and we pick out the candy they mix it and they pack it. And I called Dorothy Hoard out there and the reason I called Dorothy not only because she works there but I knew that when Dorothy and Dave had just laid one of their little girls to rest, Debbie, 14 years old, I knew that Dorothy knew what little things, little mercies and little kindnesses mean, and I told her what I wanted. I said, I, I want one of those sacks. I know I'm way ahead of time. See, it's not till next Sunday that we get them ready. I want one of those sacks of candy that we picked out. I've got a man that wants one. Can you get one for me? I knew that meant something, and she said, I'll talk to the manager and it'll be ready after dinner. And so I picked it up after dinner. Another little kindness when I got it, she said, there will be no charge. So you see, even a super duper likes to do some little things. And down to Columbus I went and got up into his room. He's gravely ill, family there, some of his relatives. And again, we talk about what, what does a little thing mean, a little a treat from the church. And I handed it to him. And of course, there were just a lot of tears. And we all you know, big men cry too at times, and we wiped our eyes, and you couldn't say much because it meant so much. He said, oh, I, I'll pay you anything you want for this, and I, you don't have enough money to pay for candy from the church. And we prayed together, and I extended Christmas readings from you. I don't know whether he'll be alive by the time next Sunday comes, but a person never knows. You never know what a little bit of mercy and a little bit of kindness can do. When strengthened in the Lord's Supper, you and I can say, these are the little things that we can do. Then we're ready for Christmas because 
then in those little things we remind others about how great Jesus is. You know, I like this in the text where they went out to hear John and some of them wondered whether he might not be the Christ. Uh, there were, Christ hadn't come as yet to begin his public ministry, but again, they thought, well, whoever Jesus would be, uh, he, maybe he's a little bit like John. Did you ever in your mercy and kindness have anybody look at you and say, you remind me of Jesus? We should, shouldn't we? In the little mercies and the little things that you and I do, we ought to remind one another of Jesus and what a wonderful Savior he is. Wouldn't this be a wonderful world this morning if everybody was surrendered to him and the way we treated one another in the little mercies and kindnesses that we would remind one another of Jesus and how great and marvelous he is, then we are ready for Christmas. No wonder the Baptist says, surrender to him and commit yourselves to him gladly because look at this babe. We say to the Baptist, what child is this? And the Baptist says, oh, don't you know? Why, this child, he, he's mightier than I am. He's the greatest. He's God. And you and I can look in the manger this morning in anticipation and we can say, oh God, how great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. When you and I can say that, we're going to have a very Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.